0: This is Brojo Online, masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Munro. All right, everybody, welcome back to Brojo Online. And today I'm speaking with Chris Luna, New York's number one dating coach. He's the founder of Craft of Charisma, which is a self improvement company focused on life, dating, and relationship mentorship for men which is one of the reasons I'm keen to have him on the show. He's been featured in all sorts of places like Cosmo, Business Insider, even the New York Times. And uh, I've even seen a couple of clips of you being interviewed on television. So welcome along, Chris. Thanks a lot for being on the show, man.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure, Dan.
0: Awesome stuff. So we may go anywhere today, but um, obviously your skills and background and expertise is in the dating field and of course in general kind of man's world and self-development for men so we'll probably circle around that a bit. Before we get into all that I'm keen to hear a little bit about who you were before you got into the line of work that you're in now and kind of what motivated you to become a dating coach and then a sort of self-development men's organizing group guy. Uh, So tell us, man, tell us a little bit about your backstory and what's brought you to where you are.
1: Uh, That's a great question. Uh, I mean, I could start at different points, but I think I'll start with um, like when I graduated from high school or right after I graduated from high school, because for a lot of people who are listening to this, that's really when adulthood begins. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I think I'll start with there. And if you want to dig anywhere, Backwards or forwards, uh, as I do other stuff, feel free to stop me and ask questions. But um, I, I around the t- around my senior year of high school. Well, actually, I'm going to start a little before that. Um, in life, I feel like we, as especially men. I mean, we we coach women as well, and some of our clients are are gay, but most of our clients are are straight men. Seventy percent of them, seventy to eighty percent of them, it depends on on the on the sort of the time period, but. When I was in my sort of mid-teens, I started to fight a lot with my parents. And part of the journey of a man is figuring out how to break away from your family so that you can next begin to identify your own or figure out what your identity is. Um, You begin to build your own tribe uh, to develop craft and and so you can support yourself Uh, someday that you can support other people, right? Your family or your spouse uh, or or loved ones. Maybe you're going to take care of your parents or siblings or somebody else uh, who's important to you that you care about. Um, I mean, there's more to it than that. But like, this is part of the journey. And for me, starting around the age of 14, my mom started threatening to kick me out of the house because I was essentially breaking away, right? And she didn't understand how to deal with it. And when I was 18, I did get kicked out of the house. And I just graduated from high school, and she kicked me out of the house and for a period, I mean I was essentially homeless like i mean i wasn 't eating out of dumpsters, but like i didn 't really have a place to live, but like I had this this car that um, I, I could stay in if I had to, or I could um, uh, run a hotel if I, a motel if I need to, like one of these like roach fucking places hmm. uh, and I crashed in a guy 's attic for a while. I had another friend of mine who had an apartment, and the water literally used to flow through. That from the shower through the bathroom through the carport onto the car <laughs> it, like it, it was fucking it was fucked up and um yeah just in a really rough neighborhood like it just it was just all bad but just started trying to figure out how to get my life together how to support myself and so I started um I, I think I had a job at I know I had a job at a grocery store I'd get up at like four in the morning be there at five till nine in the bakery like like setting up all the bread and then i had a um i went to school i had class, class like 10 I went to school from like 10 to 12 and then i had another job at one and i worked from like one to whenever that place closed it was like a um, electronic store and i did that for a while and 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 struggled and then a friend of mine i went to high school who had some issues with her parents i think she was um probably molested by her dad or um had some some type of issues with him, and she never explicitly told me that, but like I sort of alluded to and and she she moved out, had sold she had apple stock and she probably wishes she would have kept it now, but she sold sold i mean because this was our in like nineteen or two thousand right like this is a while ago uh, but she sold this apple stock um and she got her first apartment she put down the pause and everything, and we moved in and then I got a job selling cars and the reason why i started selling cars was I had an uncle of mine who was a car salesman another guy's a multimillionaire. um he owns part of a, a major dealership in california part of the ownership group but he started up as a car salesman and worked his way up and he was like the most successful guy that i knew at the time and so i asked him how did you figure out what, what you want or, or how did you get into what you're doing and he goes well i was selling talk and I was working at a stockbroker. I had two really young kids. He played football. thought he was gonna go pro. He's a blue chip recruit out of high school, um, like a defensive lineman from my memory. And he or defensive end or something, and he got in a really bad car accident, like flew out the window, was really fucked up and realized like football was probably not gonna happen. And so he he was working in stocks, trying to support his two young very young kids. He's like in his early twenties and he said like this isn't working because I gotta figure out a job will pay me what I'm worth and so he ended up selling cars and his first year I think he told me he made like ninety eight grand almost a hundred thousand bucks where he was only making like three grand a month doing stock or selling stocks and uh and so that was I thought, well fuck, if he could do it, I could do it. And so I asked myself like what am I worth? And I thought, well fuck, if I made three grand a month, that would be amazing. And so I started selling cars and the first year I made about 35,000 bucks. And so about three grand. And then the second year I made about $59,000. And then the third year I was making about 8,000 bucks a month. And we're talking about again, like in the early two thousands. So that was a lot more money than it is now. My friends at the time were making like $300 a month. (laughs) And so, um, so, I was doing that and I was working five days a week and going, and I had two days off. And, and on those two days off, it was Tuesday and Thursday, I took classes full time at a community college. And I remember the owner of the dealer, one of, one of the owners of the ship, like my general manager, was really resentful. He's like, You're the only person in this company who has two days off a week. Um, but those two days I spent in school the entire time and doing homework. Yeah. And um, because I performed really well, they allowed me to do it and they gave me some flexibility. And so I did that. And then at some point, I was like, how am I going to be able to transfer colleges? Um, because I, I, I didn't really know how I was going to get to the next stage of my life. But I knew that college or education was probably part of that. journey, Right. It's like the best way to move up social classes. And I mean, a lot of people like to rebel about, uh, rebel against education. Oh, so, Like that person became a billionaire and didn't, dropped out of school and then everybody celebrates them. Not everybody's going to do that. That's like not a realistic pathway for most human beings. But if you're a person who's trying to build a life, education is a great way to begin to move up those steps. And and if you if you end up as exceptional and you can break away and you can fuck the system, like great. But I, I, I didn't, wasn't in that headspace at that point in time. I was just like trying to figure out how to move up in the world and, and not – live in uh, um, someone's fucking attic where i don't have keys to the house and if i can't if uh, they're not home i can't get in or live in some roach motel uh or um have the the water flowing through the bath like an example i used earlier onto the carport and that was a crazy situation living with this guy his friend and their newborn baby and i remember at night like and then his brother would sometimes live with us and, like, and, and he seemed to be, like, cooking up with his, like, half-sister. It was just a really weird situation. But I remember that guy late at night just giving himself, like, tattoos and giving people tattoos with his homemade tattoo gun that he made uh, out of a pen. And his brother ended up going to jail for, like, stabbing some guy in the neck with, like, a pencil or something. I, like, I mean, this is like, I'm explaining this for, like, context. But um, – because people meet me and they're like I remember this girl got really upset at me at one point and she was just like mostly upset that I think she liked me and I, and I wasn't making an advance and she was like you're just a white Ivy league blah 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 I forget how she wasp or something and I'm just like oh, my life's been a little bit more complicated than that <laughs> I'm not and I'm, and I'm have Mexicans so um, but uh, so I'm giving the context because I think it's important. Uh, if we're going to talk about a human being's narrative, because so often we just sort of see what's at the end of uh, a road or uh, we see high points. I'll talk about that, that process of how we construct nor- uh, narratives as I get through this. But I, so I went to, went to community college. I realized at some point I wanted to transfer to a four year university, but I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to do it because with co- in the car business you had alternating schedules you, you would work one day and, or you'd have one day off and then two days off and one day off and two day, But they would alternate. I forget exactly how it worked, but I knew that it was never going to work with my class schedule. Um, I built up equity with the company that I'd worked for, and they even resented me for it, right, um, for not having the same schedule as everybody else. So I just knew it wasn't going to work. And so I thought, well, if I got into management, I could potentially have a more stable schedule. And so in my area, you need to speak Spanish. So I enrolled. I took some time off and I enrolled in the Murray Institute of National Studies, which had a a Spanish immersion program. And I started doing that during the summer with the idea that I learned Spanish or enough Spanish to try to get a job in management, even though I I would have been really young for that at that age. Um, But I, about three quarters of the way through, halfway through, I ended up dropping out and I got ended up on a political campaign for this guy. I didn't even know what party it was, but when I was still in community college, and working in cars, I before I had taken that that break, um, I had filled out this internship in this political science department. And I was thinking about the guy who owned the dealership, and that guy owned a bunch of dealerships. Um, they were all paid off. Like that guy was worth millions and millions of dollars. I don't know, fifty million bucks, a hundred million bucks. I already sold one of the dealerships for like thirty million dollars yeah. years ago, and he owned like eight of them, or something. And all of them were worth the same amount of money, but. Um, the guy, the guy was extraordinarily wealthy and, and in my youthful mind, I said, like, what's the difference between me and him? And I came up with a few different things. One, I determined, I I, I said, he went out and he learned certain things. He went out and sought knowledge. He figured out how to apply that knowledge. And then he figured out how to communicate that, that knowledge with other people. Um, and I, I think it's more complicated than that in my, in my mind at, at that age, that's what I thought. And, um, I'll never forget when he pulled up and he's pulling up, pulling up in his hundred thousand dollar Porsche. And I was looking at him and I was sort of constructing these questions in, in my mind. I thought, well, I can go out there and seek the information. There's like books and there's people and there's groups. I, like, I don't know where to look, but I could figure that out, but I need to figure out how to communicate and how do we communicate? And I'm like, well, we communicate with, with numbers. We can communicate verbally. Uh, through speaking, we communicate through our body, our body language. Um, we communicate through our voice. And so that was actually what caused me to go back to school. So I had gone to school right out of um, um, high school and uh, while well, I had those two jobs, but then I had to drop out because I, like, I just couldn't afford it. It's really what happened. And then I sold cars for a little while and then I went back to school and yeah. So that, that was, so that was how I ended up back in school. And when I was in school, I fit this internship, I ended up on this political campaign and that political campaign. I didn't even know what party it was for, but I did it because when I'd asked those original questions, I thought who had to do public speaking and in my youthful brain again, I thought politicians do and actors. I don't really know any actors, but maybe this is a chance to meet some politicians and I can learn how to communicate. And, and so I, did this 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 internship, and then they offered me a job and and I moved uh, a few hours away and I had this like region of california and I was around a lot of people who were really rich and i'd never really been around rich people and uh, a lot of politicians I, I was in rooms or at tables with people who were members of the california state assembly and and their 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 state reps and and members of federal government like secretaries of agriculture and uh, the governor of california and like i mean a lot of a lot of people who had prominence and and power and um as a young guy i, I knew at some point like I, I wanted those things i don't know if i want the right reasons at, at that time but um as, as i grow older i think that they should be a natural uh, a natural growth out of of um of your sort of maturity and competence. We could talk about that later on, but at that point I just like knew I wanted to have more status in society. Like we're really talking about the come up. Right. And so um, this is what I was doing. I was trying to, trying to come up. And so I did this political campaign that really changed, changed my life um, in the sense that like I was around these people who I would have maybe felt nervous around in the past. And I, and I became comfortable and confident around them. And when all that ended, I had the opportunity to either move to DC or move to Sacramento, which is the California state capital and working in politics and work in government, or I could do something else. And so I was trying to figure that out, but I didn't, it didn't make a lot of sense to me to get into politics because there were all these people fighting for these jobs and, and I was being offered some of them. Um, and a lot of them had Ivy league degrees and like really wanted them, but the jobs were making like two or three grand a month, 2,500 bucks a month, three grand a month. And I thought that's stupid. Like I, I make so much more money than that selling cars. Why would I go work for like the same amount of time and, and for a third of the amount of pay? It just like, just in my head, just didn't register. And so I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. Cause what I really want to do was go to college. And I ended up, um, what did I do next? I ended up. Uh, oh, my dad died. My dad. I was in. My dad died of cancer, and he didn't. He had cancer. I was visiting him in, in around New Year's. I don't know when the election is. Like in the fall, and then around New Year's, he died of cancer, and didn't know he had cancer. I was out. I was with him for for Christmas and for New Year's, and then he he had this like minor surgery. He asked me to stay. I was like, I can't. I got to go back and work, and uh, and I didn't tell him this, but I'd actually been looking for jobs in the area, so maybe I could move close to him because he had. Had to move out of state for it was during like the the dot com crash and he worked in tech making conductors and and so he moved to Texas and so I was looking at jobs in at Texas but I didn't want to get his hopes up so I flew back to California and then about a week later I was asked to uh, or I was told hey like your dad's really sick you need to come back out here my mom sort of made me go and my parents had divorced at that point that's another story mm-hmm. and so I flew back out there and. Against like and not wanting to, and his buddy picked me up, and and he and I I didn't understand how serious he was, but when I walked into the hospital, they like they said they said give us a few minutes, and so um, the doctors took a few minutes, and there's like I don't know a team of people, six, seven, eight people standing around chatting. They pulled me into the room and they're like, "Well, your dad has got some clotting. We don't know what's causing it, but it's in his legs and it's moving up to his heart, and at some point, uh, his heart." it's it's going, it's going, the blood's going to clot and then he's going to die. And so since he just had these surgeries, uh, we don't really, we're not sure what exactly to do because if we give him blood thinners, he's there's a high likelihood he's going to bleed to death. And so, so they talked to my dad and my dad's just like, do it. So I said, well, when are they going to start? And he goes, ah, within 15 minutes. (laughs) So, um, so I'm like, well, is my dad's going to, is my, my dad's likely going to die in the next hour? Or, like it was just, it was pretty intense. And he ended up living through that. But by the fifth day, uh, he was uh, within five or six days, he was in a coma and died. And and um, we didn't find out until we did the autopsy later that he had cancer. And so what was causing the, the clot was this tumor that was in his liver that was pressing up against one of his arteries. And that had stopped the blood flow, and so, at any rate, um, that definitely put me in a different direction. Because although I, my dad, when I was a teenager, he'd become more important to me as important to me when I was younger, but became even more important to me as a man. I mean, my dad had told me something right before he died. He goes, "You know, with my father, we didn't really have a close relationship with him to, to him when I was when I was really young. Like my mom mostly took care of my needs, but as I became older." It's like I became a man. My mom couldn't help me with like the man type problems that a guy, a guy has, and so I went to my father. And my father has always been there. Like he's got flaws and he's definitely made major mistakes over the course of his life, but he's always been there for me. He's been a great dad. And 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 I think what he was also communicating was that like as you grow older, like I'm here for you. Um, and so in that way, my dad was kind of like my north star. And and then he died. He was like in his mid forties, and uh, and so then that was very traumatic. I I didn't really know how to process it uh, or what to do, and it took a while. After somebody dies, people we'll never talk about this. It was sort of validating in the sense that, like, I would go to I was at the funeral and everyone's like, "You're now the man of the family," all this crap, and there's this like sort of high on some level, and and and, I, and there can be shame attached to that too, but like. I think that's part of maybe people don't talk about it. I, I brought it up, I remember, to to somebody, and then his dad died. And he goes, I know exactly what you're talking about now. And I, at, at any rate, eventually everybody leaves, and then you're just alone. And it didn't really hit me until I had a call where, uh, oh, no, I was watching a football game. Uh, my dad was a big 49er fan. The 49er scored a touchdown. I went to go call him. And uh, cause I knew he'd be watching and I realized he's not there anymore. And that was the time it really hit. And for, I went back. So after that, I went back in the car business. I worked, sold BMWs and Porsches and my physical experience, like dealing with people who are fluent, um, allowed me to get that job later on the owner. I was sitting in his office and he goes, you know why I hired you? Cause I was, I was, uh, the closest person to my age was 40 nine or right. something like that on staff and I was like 22 ish and he goes you know why I hired you and I said no and he goes because you're the best man for this job and I was a competent salesperson I had sort of mastered that like that craft but I also I knew how to deal with people who are affluent and so to the lead to, to be able to lead them and and that's where the self-development story really begins because how did I get better at selling cars um, or get better at sales it was really this process of self-development and the very first development book I read I think was on dating and was, um I don't remember exactly it was like one of those like 99 cent books you buy at the grocery stores you're like walking out next to like the snickers bars and what i remember about that book was when they talked about the correlation between space and power and that was quite profound for me and that there is a correlation between space and power i talk about that in my classes today how somebody who is who has more power in our society is going to live in, and more resources is going to live in more desired neighborhoods in, in New York City, more desired buildings. And they're going to live in certain parts of the building. Maybe they're going to live on the top in the penthouse, or they're going to live in the corner where they have two views, um, or in, they're going to have an office in a more desired location, in, in a bigger building, in a more desired space within that location. Like, it's, like there's this correlation between space and power. And it, and it goes all the way down to our social interactions like whether somebody's on stage and stage and they're commanding space on stage and everybody else is in these chairs facing that person or you're approaching two women at a bar and you're 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 holding or commanding space there's just a strong correlation between space and power and then people who don't have have space whether it was me when i was was essentially homeless or um it's a, a somebody who does not works for a company and they don't have an office or they live in a little tiny cubicle or they work in a little tiny cubicle or uh whatever like there's also this core they live in shanty towns like uh like in brazil where they have these like slums it's the equivalent of the slums uh and they live in close spaces and like maybe they don't even have a roof or maybe they don't like th- there's this correlation between space and power and so I picked that up in that first book and it was fucking profound. And um again, it was just like like a cheap ninety-nine cent or dollar ninety-nine cent. Like I don't even know if they'd still sell these things anymore. But um I, I that was profound and that put me on this sort of path of self-development where I started reading lots of lots of books on sales. Um, like people by people like Zig Ziglar or now he's pretty famous, but like I, I went to a grand-owned seminar two, 20 years ago, <laughs> almost, which <laughs> is crazy. That was the first seminar I ever I ever went to. Um, and then that evolved into like Anthony or, or Tom Hopkins and other sales professionals, uh, Brian Tracy, and that evolved into self general self-development, people like Anthony Robbins. Um, but what happened was the more I learned about the more I studied self-development and the more I was able to apply these ideas, my income directly increased. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got better at selling cars. That's how I learned to set goals. That's how I learned to break them down. That's how I was able to create a schedule that allowed me to manage certain amounts of chaos in my life and uncertainty and continue to move towards specific goals with limited resources. And so so I, I did that, and and I did that. I was running the political campaigns for a while. I went back uh, and sold cars. Was doing some political stuff in between, and but I knew I was sitting one day in the car dealership, looking around, and I realized this isn't what I want to do with my life, right? Like I'm still subject to like, man, right? If he dies or passes away or sells this thing, I'm f u c k e d, right? Like what am I going to do next? Like I need to finish school, and I need to um, develop another craft. And so I started asking myself, who in here makes the most amount of money and has the least education? And like, what what are they doing? And they were all in real estate. And then during like the, real, the beginning of the real estate bubble in California, there were some young guys in there who, I was in my early 20s, they were in their late 20s making um, over a million dollars a year. And they were doing like loans or doing, well, they were doing, there's real estate loans, appraisers, but like the loan guys are making the most amount of money. And so I'm like, you know, I need to figure out how to do that. And I hit one of them up. Um, I sold him this like really expensive uh, BMW and he offered me a job and uh, I quit my job and, and I was going to school. I had become president of my college, uh, my community college. And, and I was trying to do this loan thing and, I had some money saved. And, uh, but he, some guy thought was incompetent. And your mentors matter. And so I knew that if I developed this guy's habits, I was shitty habits and figure out how to make a hundred grand a year if I was lucky, probably like whatever that guy was making, 50 grand a year or something. And so um, I went and found out, uh, um, I wanted to find someone doing what I wanted to do. And so I, a couple things happened. I broke up with a girl. And, and that breakup met a girl while I was running for student government. I was like, fell head over heels for her. Um, It's like, just like youthful love happened really fast. And that really fucked me up. And that was one thing that happened. Second, I realized my brother needed a lot of mentorship. I had a little brother of mine who was struggling and he had lived with my dad in Texas and just like, wasn't getting the support, the male sort of support that he needed. And I was concerned about him. That's the second thing. And then the third thing is I wanted to find a mentor. Um, to move into this some real estate or finance, and I thought I was probably too young to do real estate, but finance is a realistic possibility, so I moved to the town my mom lived in to mentor my brother. Um, I dropped out gave up the government thing, uh, moved to the town my brother lived in and and had him move in with me. I found somebody who was making almost two and a half million dollars a year in finance, and I got him to mentor me for a few years and then I were three things um my brother uh, uh finding the mentor and i I, I just lost it but the, the point is like I, I made the i made the move and i I did that for the next few years i I was in finance i did i helped my brother my brother went from like a two seven gpa in college to a, or sorry in high school to like a three seven college and became got involved in student government became the vice president of student government then became president of his a student body. Um I I was able to go to school. I mean, my boss didn't like I was in school, like I was in school, so I started taking classes online. And then after about my, my plan was still to start a real estate finance company, but the market crashed and right around the time I was getting my broker's license and I'd spent a few years doing that. I also went through some leadership programs and did nonprofit work. And all these things, I'm sharing all these things, probably a lot more than you anticipated, but all these things contributed to craft account coaching. And I'll explain that shortly. And so I, yeah, I, I after after three years, the fourth year, I tried to start this business. And then I ended up, um, I ended up in a crash. I started this company. I borrowed some money from my grandfather. Couldn't pay him back. My uncle was supposed to be my business partner. Not the same uncle. I mentioned a different uncle. This guy was on my dad's side. The other guy was on my mom's. And um, basically, I strung out. And I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. He's like, "You do this. Like, we want to start this business. We need somebody with a, this license. You have the license. You'll make a hundred grand a year passively based on X, Y, Z. Um, we got your back here. Like, I'm a step, uh, we're gonna have you take a loan out from your grandfather to finance it. Like, um, I just like I thought it was safe, and I wasn't. They didn't follow through. I couldn't pay back my grandfather. It was the most embarrassing period of my life. My credit score went from eight thirty to like three thirty. I yeah, destroyed my credit um I was like pretty fucked fucked up I was pretty depressed at the time and fucked up and I just really wanted was trying to find a way to pay for school And um, the area I lived in had the highest foreclosure rate in in the United States for like I don't remember three to six months um it was just like I was in like the worst place in the worst a uh, real estate financial crash in like U.S. history it was just it was bad so I'm like well what am I going to do now because I don't know how long he's going to recover. It might be five, 10 years. And my goal is still to finish school. And, and so I, I just took actually classes at the community college and whatever I was interested in, um, sold cars on and off for my uncle, like in my free time. And he gave me flexibility because he had power at the dealership he owned or he ran and now owns part of. And um, And then I applied to schools and really actually I applied to one school. I applied to Columbia, which was in New York City. And it's um, where Barack Obama went to college. It's one of the top ten universities in the world. And I only applied there because I knew a guy who went there, and I'm like, I'm I'm like I'm as smart as that guy is, and so I I applied and I got accepted during early admissions. And then I moved to um, I moved to New York to go to Columbia. Uh, but before I did, I had a summer that I could kill, and I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I wanted to do something fun. I do anything in finance i couldn't get a regular job i wasn't gonna be able to get a career so i came up with two options i thought either i want to work in either i'm going to work on a movie because i was really interested in film i still am i love films and uh or i'm or i want to learn about this dating stuff and so i thought and my thought process was if i could find some mentors and learn to date because i didn't have a lot of experience i the first girl i kissed was the girl i went to prom my senior year of high school, I was 18. Um, I, I, my birthday was in September. Prom like in, I don't know, May or so, I don't know when it is, but I was like closer to 18 and a half. Um, I didn't lose my virginity till I was like in my early 20s. I, one-ish, I think. Maybe it was 22. Maybe it was my late 20s. I don't remember, but I remember the I just don't remember. But I just didn't have a lot of experience with women. I didn't understand what they wanted. I learned as a coach that a lot of the stuff we pick up through a combination of observation and trial and error. And I didn't really have anybody to observe who was going through, who was good at courtship or seduction or whatever the hell you want to call it. But like, how do you meet a girl and move things intimately? I didn't have that. And so it was trial and error. And so I was making a lot of mistakes. And I find that that's consistent with our clients, like the clients to come in, they usually don't have that model and Craft Charisma provided that for them. But I ended up, of those two choices, I decided to do the dating one because I, I could have worked on a movie, um, or at least I'm confident I could have had a friend of mine or a former client who'd been nominated for an Academy Award and uh, was a producer. So I thought he could probably hook me up. But I decided the dating thing was more important because like what's really more important than the partner that you have? And so I thought Columbia is going to give me access to like the highest quality women that I could ever want to meet if they're, pr- they're pretty and they're smart and like maybe they come from better families. I, I don't know. And so I just like wanted to be prepared. So I, I moved to Los Angeles and and I found some mentors and um, for that summer and stayed with a guy that had done really well, who I started in, in politics together and he'd gotten to fundraising and fundraising. There's a lot more money than a political organization. And so he, he, uh, I stayed with that guy and I worked for, for like, I, I, like hung out with guys in this dating pickup community for, for a while and, and and learned like some things that I was missing. And there was really only a few things that I was missing. I'd become very good socially from selling cars. And it wasn't natural. Like, I mean, when I first started, I used to have to look in the mirror and say, I'm Christopher and you are, and practice shaking hands. And um, but, but you're forced to introduce yourself three or four times a day I did that for for three years or four years you just get comfortable doing that and you get comfortable with small talk and and I was reading all these self-development books on how to start conversations and how to keep them going and how to tell stories and how to lead interactions and that how to be confident and how to project confidence and how to listen and like so I had I had done a lot of that and um when I got into um politics I learned I was able to watch people who were really, really good at this stuff, um, apply it in social situations. Like you might hate somebody who is, because they're from an opposing political party, but when you watch these people up close, a lot of them are very socially savvy. And so that was helpful. That the year I, um, all the nonprofit work I I did, um, like, was really helpful in, in increasing my leadership and communication skills, whether it was student government or uh, volunteering with the United Way or going through some of the leadership fellowships that I, I was part of through, the, through different chambers of commerce in California, which all built on itself from these other things that I was doing, which were really not that normal for somebody my age. And, um, and so when I got out to Los Angeles, like I knew how to approach somebody, how to start a conversation. I I didn't realize I could approach. I'll tell you where I was stuck. I didn't know how to approach strangers. I didn't realize I could just walk up to a and start a conversation. And I could read the nonverbals, and I could read the body language, and I could read the reactions. But I didn't realize that was socially okay. Mm. And I find that that's still true for a lot of guys um, who come through our classes. I mean, it's a you can do this in a way that is not socially okay. But like most, most women don't wake up in the morning and think like, I don't, I hope I don't make an an incredibly deep connection with somebody, an amazing human being today. It's yeah. like, like it just doesn't happen. So if you're that type of person and you're able to read like, like her reaction to when she feels comfortable, when she feels interested, knowing what, like, like how to sort of, to navigate these things. Like, people want to connect with you. And so that was one thing that I didn't understand that I could just make friends out in public with strangers. Um, The second thing I didn't understand was how to touch because for most of our upbringing um, and like we're taught not to touch other people, you're in school, don't touch the girls, don't touch other people, keep your hands to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that makes sense for different for a variety of reasons when you're a kid. But, how do you cross that boundary when you're trying to figure out how to build an intimate connection with somebody? And I didn't understand how to do that. The third thing I didn't really understand how to do was how to be sexually forward. And when I say sexually forward, I, what I really mean is how do you express your sexuality? Right? Like, it's weird if you walk, if you tell somebody who's walking by on the street, hey, you have a nice ass. Like, yeah, girls are going to get pissed off and you might end up on YouTube, <laughs> <laughs> um or if you say that a co you might end up fired or if you're in college and you um you you're running uh you're running a residence hall like you might end up getting kicked out like there's there's an inappropriate time to be sexually forward or expressive but if you tell your girlfriend or a wife like like i love your ass like or i want to do xyz to you like that's probably going to get her aroused or turned on so like what happens between like high or we're a stranger so i'm a stranger to high so that introduction point where somebody is able to to openly express their sexuality to somebody and they're be receptive i just didn't understand how that worked because in our society we're so sexually repressed and and when you're sexually oppressed like you don't you don't have those experiences You don't know and and um I'm just thinking of a funny story. I had I mentioned that girl, I like I I sort of like fell in love with and it didn't work out and and um and that was sort of the part of the catalyst that made me want to understand how this stuff worked and evolved into becoming a dating coach at some point. I, like there's definitely a, a direct line there, or a fairly direct line. I remember I was talking to an older woman about that relationship, trying to figure out what I should do, and she tells me, "Text her, um, I want your pussy." and Sure. I thought, I can't do that. And um, there's no way that I could do that. But she's like, from her perspective, she realized like I had actually involved with this girl. And so like, it wasn't really that, that big deal uh, for me to say something like that. But for me, it just like was too much. And I couldn't do it. But one of the next relationships I had, maybe a year later, I mean, I literally thought about this for over a year. And I was dating some girl. And I remember it was like... <laughs> at night or early in the morning, and I was out of the club after the clubs, and I was like sober. But I was like, you know, what? I'm going to try this. So I text this girl, "I want to eat your pussy right now." And then she "Text me back." Ha 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 ha. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the next time I saw her, and we 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 hadn't had sex, but we'd been gone on a few dates and had made out a little bit, and and uh, and she, well, the next time she saw saw me, she goes, "You know what? You text me." And I said, yeah. and then uh, I told her and she goes, Oh, and I go, what? She goes, it's just, that's so inconsistent with your personality. I just, I, I thought you were drunk. And, and I, and I think this is interesting because like, I just didn't, I mean, it exemplifies that I just didn't understand how to be sexually expressive. I told another story uh, to somebody recently, and I was talking about when I was at Columbia And I said, you know, I remember this girl called me up and she, she goes, Hey, can we grab dinner? Like I need to talk. I just broke up with this guy and said, sure. So I went to dinner with her and then she wanted to grab a drink and I said, sure. So I got a drink and this was completely platonic. And then about an hour in, she goes, you, we both, she's like laughing and giggling and touching me. And she goes, well, we both know where this is going. In my head, I'm thinking, does she like me? Like I just like, it was just like confused, right? I'd already gone through this transition where it's like I'd had sex at the Playboy mansion. I, I was starting to do some crazy crap and I, I don't really talk about this stuff in a public forum, but I just like, I'm trying to show how, how far I'd come as far as like that particular set of problems. And so um, I'd like hooked up with the like runway models. And I think at that, I mean, I think at that point or very definitely very close afterwards. Um, I remember I had a friend of mine who was like, uh, girls are going to start approaching you for threesomes. And I thought, there is no way in hell like, that anyone's going to ever do that. And it happened a couple of times in a very short period of time where girls approached me for threesomes. Like I, I met this girl getting on the subway in Los Angeles. We got off the end. We were making out before we got off the train. And then she asked me to come hook up with her and her best friend. That day. And like it happened a few more times. It's just like craziness. But with this girl from school, she hits me up and she goes, um or sorry we, we were, were at we're at her and she goes we both know where this is going And in my head i'm like, what because i'm still processing a lot of these changes that have been happening because right. um, they were they were small changes for me and she ends up um we end up back at my place and we're making out and she tells me i've never given a blow job can i give you a blow job so that like like basically for practice so that you can give me feedback because i trust you and I just remember thinking, God, my life is fucking changed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is such a, such a weird, like, this is, this is really my life. <laughs> um, but, what, like, but what had happened was I had learned to become more comfortable with expressing. I, I learned to become more comfortable with myself. And part of that is like my masculinity. And although I wasn't running around saying crude things to girls, like they picked it up. Like they understood that I was more comfortable. That's why she that that girl wasn't saying like, um, I, did you do you know what you texted me last night? Like I like I, I had, had begun to embody some some of these qualities, and women were beginning to pick up that frequency. And so I, I don't have ever talked about any of this stuff in a public forum like this, but I and I want to make sure you guys understand. Some of you guys are gonna listen. This and you, you're at that stage where you, you want to lose your virginity or you don't have a lot of experience and this is gonna get you really excited. This is just the fucking beginning of the journey. <laughs> like this is just the start. Like what, like for I tell my my younger guys uh, who are in our classes who are on our team when they come to me for like life advice I'm like the first thing as a guy when you're, from a deep perspective is you're trying to figure out how do I attract a girl and then like how do I kiss a girl and how do I become physically or emotionally intimate sexually intimate how do i do get girls to want to have sex with me and then the second phase is like how do i start attracting like higher quality women and then the next phase after that is you start thinking you start dating what you think are high quality women and then you realize that there's some some holes in yourself and there's things that if you want these deeper connections and some men never get to that that phase but like you want these deeper, these deeper connection. I want a partner. I want to build something with somebody. Like I want to build a life with somebody. I want to have a fucking best friend. I want kids who aren't going to resent me and are going to love me and are going to like admire me. And like, I can, I want to be proud of who I am. Like there's a lot more deeper work. There's a lot deeper work that, that, um, that we probably won't get to on this podcast, but going back to the stage of life that I was in, like I started to get more comfortable with this stuff and um, I was living in New York city and I decided a friend of mine's like, you should, you should do this dating coaching thing, man. I, you got this shit down. And I, I didn't think anybody would pay me to do this stuff. So I put an ad on Craigslist, and people started um, responding and I just offered to take them out and if they didn't learn anything, they could have their money back. And, and then that evolved into group classes and then the group classes, uh, evolved into like a longer curriculum class and then um, our individual stuff got more expensive. I mean, now if somebody wa- wants to work with me, this is going to crap people out who are listening to this. Cause if you're thinking, I want to learn from this guy, like individual yeah. stuff is tens of thousands of dollars and each session is a thousand bucks. And we're right. going to sit basically two and a half hours. And and by the time you listen to this, it might even be more. <laughs> so, um, uh, But what, what happened is like, as, as I, as I continue to grow as a a coach and was able to provide more depth, um, the value of our coaching went up. And I just like, I don't have the capacity to do to, um, interest stuff now. It's like, yeah. we'll do a, a like a, just like we're in a different phase, but that's sort of, like that's sort of the dating evolution of, well, that's sort of part of my, I mean, that's one way I could phrase our narratives narratives, I, I said I was going to talk about something about how we phrase narratives and the way that the human mind works. Like, as we're we're going into the future, things look like chaos, but when we look back, we're able to see these points, right? And these points, uh, we we organize our experiences into points, and these plot points become narrative. And so, um, that's one way I can structure my narrative to explain how I got to today, and in a way that I think is consistent. Probably what listeners want to know, like how did this guy end up as one of the top world's top dating coaches? So hopefully, does that answer your question? (laughs) This
0: is like the easiest podcast interview I've ever done in my life. It's it's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) You're just off and running after one question, and every time I had like a subsequent question, your next thing answered it. So that was fantastic. You know, there's I've been I've run like a pages of of share while you've been talking picking up on key points here um because this is like a meta lesson for the people listening because as you talk about how you got to where you got i hope people are listening to you because you listening to others is how you got to where you got you know there's this um this theme really coming through. Like you talk about plot points in your narratives. this theme of you constantly looking for the next way forward through education, which I mean to you probably is just obvious. Like if you've got a problem, you got to figure out how did somebody else solve it and learn what they learned. And then you add that to your It is mind.
1: not obvious actually. <laughs> well, well, there, there, are mo- yeah, well there, there are moments when it's obvious. There are moments where my mind has been clear and I, I had this, I was at this dinner the other night. It was really awesome. It was a soulful uh, supper dinner. And there's a bunch of people who are into this idea of consciousness and they're all into mindfulness and being vulnerable. And it's just a really cool, cool environment. It was mostly women, maybe two thirds women or three fourths women. Um, all the guys who were there were all into men's work and, and self-development. And the topic was decisions. And we went around the room and the way it was structured is, only one person could speak at a time. The, the, if you wanted food, you had to ask uh, someone to serve you so that people felt connected or they were forced to. And nothing left the room. And I mean, I'm going to share what I said because I, th- I think it's, I mean, I feel like I can leave, let that leave the room. Sure. But, um, the, the, cho- the choice was about decisions, or sorry, the topic started with decisions and then evolved into other things. But I was saying, for me, it's just like, I'm in a phase of my life where I just have to keep making them Because right now I have a level of clarity that I don't think I've had in a very long time. It's not, I don't think I have, I know I haven't had it in a long time. And with that clarity, yeah, it becomes obvious that I need help with certain things. Like I'm still on a journey. Maybe I'm like, I'm really good at picking up girls, maybe probably better than any human being I've ever met in my life. But like, that's not where my interests are. My interests are, how do I, how do I become an incredible partner? How do I become an incredible husband? How do I become a, a, a father? How do I become an incredible entrepreneur? How do I become like a, a foundation of my community? And so I'm actually at a phase where I have a clear mind and I'm able to see, I think we'll, we'll know a year or two years or five years or 10 years from now. We'll, we could do another podcast and see like whether that was right. But where I can see that I need help and I'm out I'm out seeking those questions. Like um, recently I bought 25 books on either relationships or vulnerability or um, like all kinds of consciousness, like mindfulness. I um, joined a couple of men's groups, um, kind project and every man, which both do really incredible work. Um, I'm signed up for a 10 day uh, meditation retreat. I joined this meditation organization. Like I do meditation every single morning. Like uh, I'm, uh so so basically like uh i and, and during the process of this sort of this clarity i've been working out a lot but like i just realized i could change if i let me just try to do an experiment for 90 days i'm going to change my diet because somebody suggested it lost 28 and a half pounds in the first like 6 days so what i'm getting what I the reason why I'm sort of intervening here is it isn't fucking obvious. Like we have moments, there are moments where it's obvious what we need to do next. And if we listen to ourselves and we listen to like, it's like the karate kid, right? Like we listen to our environment. Like it's just clear, like that's what we got to do. And you just got, you got to let go and, and not react to your past traumas, that voice in your head or where you think that your life should be going. I mean, for a while I was going back to school. I was going to Harvard and, um, I was taking classes and my plan was to finish school there because I I didn't want to go to Columbia, but I wanted to finish my degree. But more recently, I'm just like, right now it's a waste of my fucking time. Like I have such immense clarity around what I want to do. I just don't need that. And so um, what I want to say is like, it isn't always, it isn't always clear. So if you're listening to this and you, you feel like it's not, not totally clear around what you, you should do next, that's okay. But Dan's right you can like the next step is reaching out it's like getting yourself settled <laughs> clearing your mind yeah. I and maybe we can talk about that but going out and, and and getting that education which is really what you're doing by listening to this podcast
0: yeah and and i can agree with you more you know and i think I'm i'm probably going to ask you something about that exactly like, what do you do when it's not clear Before, you know, I've really got to point something out here, which is there's two things you're doing that seem to be quite natural to you that I hope people listening uh, take on board and try for themselves. The first thing is this very stoic approach, which is this kind of like uh, like Ryan Holiday says, the obstacle is the way. The way you describe your narrative is just a series of looking for the next best problem to solve and throwing yourself into it. And you don't try to look past it, you know, like, so when you were kicked out of your house and homeless, then finding a place to stay was all that mattered, you know? And then once you got a place to stay, finding some income was all that mattered. And you keep like throwing all your energy into what mattered. Uh, a lot of the people that I work with who get stuck, they're trying to look past the immediate problem that's in front of them or the immediate piece of the oh, yeah. that needs to be done to the next thing or to the best thing or to the biggest thing. So like, no, nah, tune it I, back I, to where you're at, you know?
1: I've been guilty. I've definitely been guilty of that at times in my life, but like from a, and, and I see that with our, with people coming in our lectures. So like they're living situation. So craft charisma coaching, all the, all the, I'm going to come back to what I was just talking about, but craft charisma coaching can really be settled down into like five categories. One is self-development. And when I say self-development, it's getting your shit together. Right, like it's getting your finances stable, your emotion, getting yourself to a good emotional place, getting yourself into like a physically fit place, getting yourself uh, your living situation stabilized. Like, and do you need all these things uh, stabilized? No. And are you in the journey, especially younger guys? Like, I talk to younger guys. I'm like, you don't have to have all this stuff totally together in the same way. Like somebody who's forty or fifty might. Like um, the expectations are just not the same. But it's really difficult once you get to a certain age, if you want to have an intimate relationship with somebody, if you're like sharing a room with your brother mm-hmm. um, or if you are are about whether or not you have enough money for a date, like dinner, um, then that's going to be an issue. And you can argue, I read some books where you're not, you shouldn't pay. Well, at some point you're going to fucking have to like, or, or you're likely going to have to cover something. And if you're worried about money, then that's going to, ma- that emotions going to manifest in your body language and in your choices and your disc you're going to disconnect. So um, if you health wise, like do you need to be in great shape? No. Should you be comfortable with yourself and where you're at in your body? Yes. But uh, if, if you get in better shape, you're going to have more options, right? Like um, and so the first is all around stuff that self-development. The second is after somebody starts to feel better about themselves in their life. They go and they, they usually want to expand. Like when we're, we're in a bad place, we contract, we try to control things, try to compartmentalize, we try to stabilize. Uh, But when we're feeling great, we expand. And part of that is we add new people in our lives. So people go out and they join new groups, they join new organizations, they try new restaurants, they make new friends. For straight guys, they're going to meet some women, a subset of that's going to be women that they want to, want to date. Whether you do that through a dating app or through friends, friends, through your social circle interests or approaching girls at a bar or on the street or by walking down the aisle at the grocery store, um, but the second phase is meeting people. Third is is you can call it induction, you can call it courtship, whatever. How do you move something intimately? Here's somebody I like, like um, I'm sexually attracted to. How do I how do I move things sexually, or how do I move things physically and emotionally intimately in a consensual way? Which is a question that's been coming up in a lot of a lot in our society. Um, mm-hmm. The third stage is like after I'm having sex with somebody because. Once you reach a certain age in, in Western culture, you're probably not going to have, someone's probably not going to be your girlfriend uh, unless you guys are sexually active. So um, how do you transition into a relationship? How do you communicate? How do you use language to structure the relationship? Use language to structure, structure the world around us, including our relationships. Um, so it's all stuff around relationships. How do I set boundaries? Like and the, the the fifth one is how do I That like okay I love this person but how do I sustain the relationship? It's like love commitment, love and how do I partnership with another human being? And usually at some point things fall apart and when things fall apart we end up back at the beginning at self development. You have a girlfriend you break up and you're like fuck. I remember being in Harvard Yard with this guy who's I was coding who is doing a PhD at MIT and he just broke up with his girlfriend he was a mess and and uh, he's like what do I do next and I'm like, dude, I can see your fucking toes from your shoes. The first thing you need to do is fucking throw those shoes away and maybe even walk home <laughs> uh, and pick up some new shoes on the way like like how many girls do you think want to date a guy who has holes in his shoes like where he can see his toes and so um, so we talked about that. He went out and bought new shoes and, and bought some new clothes and started getting into shape and started getting a better changed his diet and started getting better uh, started pursuing things that he was that he loved and he was in and excited about of his hobbies that he had lost by giving this girl all his attention or a lot of his attention. And he started to rebuild himself. And um, and so then you end up as a, guy, a man going through the same journey again until hopefully we find, we find that partner, right? And, and if things don't work out, something happens. She gets sick. She, her heart changes. She passes away. Like there's a, some other tragedy. Then we're, we end up back at the beginning, focused on ourselves and 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 go through the cycle again this is part of the human condition part of the journey um i don't even remember what your original question was but that that segue was important for some reason or another
0: (laughs) no absolutely spot on because you know one of the things that i just i've loved about your whole story is the practical reaction to real life And, and what you just described again is Also, this idea like, whatever your problem is today is the one that you're solving. And if that means you had to go back to the start today, so be it. It's going to be as rewarding as it it was the first time.
1: Yeah. So, what I was going to say is like, I I wanted the guys listening to this, or even gals who are listening to this, to understand what the journey looks or feels like so that they understand that they're a part of something bigger than themselves. And this is like, this has been happening for, at least tens of thousands of years, and hopefully we' been for tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions more, right and um they're part of something much bigger than themselves, but when it comes to on this journey that they're on part of something bigger, but if we were to think about an injury right like I hurt my arm or I hurt my knee, then we know that we have to give our knee or our arm attention mm-hmm. right and and, but often in these, these more fuzzy aspects of our life, whether it's emotional health or, um, figuring out how to express our masculinity or set boundaries or stand up to somebody, um, or to emotion, to express our emotions or, um, it, it help with your dating life. Or it could be like, I'm using a few, a few different things, but it could be all kinds of different things that are sort of softer skills, um, it's not quite as clear. And often, guys think that they do these things on their own and they do them in isolation. And they oftentimes don't pick the things that are the most important. And that goes back to what you had really, really originally asked. I mean, I have guys who come into my classes and And yeah, like, I'm just like, until you fucking figure out your living situation, you're in your thirties, you get a job and you're in your living, you get your living situation sorted out. You probably should not be dating. Like Mm -hmm. I'll be straight up, like you could save up money and pay me thousands of dollars to take my classes. But what you really need to do is get an apartment, right? Like, um, you need a sustainable job. Like Mm -hmm. you need, um, to take care of your health, right? Like you need, are, are there, are these things, these things are not always things that you you can, fo- you focus on one at a time, but they are building blocks that you, they are foundations that you build upon each other. And so for those listening, like in the same way, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like the, if you're not familiar with that, it's like this hierarchy where you have these base needs, they're psychological and like if you have food, water, a place to sleep at night, uh, warmth so that you don't freeze to death. Like uh, if you don't have some sort of these base human, these base human needs access to food, you can't get to the next level. And the next level is like safety. And, and, uh, if you, if you don't feel like, safe to walk either physically or psychologically, you don't feel you can walk down the street, then it's hard to, to get to the next level, which is like, um, uh, being part of a group. Right. And as you become, um, having friends, like uh, being being able to connect with people, and if you can't do that, then you can't move up within a group. You can't like acquire status, and like and so, I mean, social psychologists have re- re- revisited this subject on a few different times. And this hierarchy has um, has evolved a little bit, or continues to evolve, depending on the person's interpretation and cultural interpretations, but like this dating example i'm using of like self development meeting people it's a, it's a, it's the same thing like it's hard to have a unless you get those other things together and and as you said like i oftentimes um will 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 recognize where the pain is and i'll focus on that i don't always do this well there's times that i fuck this up royally um mm-hmm. but when i'm successful in my life i i'm able to do this and as a coach this is what i try to do i try to understand three things i try to understand where my client is at, where they want to be. And my job is to help them bridge those two points as quickly as possible.
0: Absolutely. You know, this is, um, this is what I love about uh, like hearing stories from guys like yourself is like when something works, uh, there's a consistency to, to the process you're using to get there, which is like you said, you identify when you do get it right. you identify what is the current need that needs to be dealt with then you actively engage in it and you solve that problem Then you sit back and reflect on and go what did I learn from that and and you can see this like that's what I love about your journey the way you pivot which is I think before I said there's two things I noticed the second one is this you have this ability to let go of whatever it is you had invested in when a better path opens up for you you don't cling to something you know there's when you look back at history, it's like talking about six different guys, you know, the, the guy you are now isn't doing any of the things that you were doing originally, because you've let them go at some point, but you let them go for good reason. As you learned from them, this new thing, like, uh, especially when you notice, say, the political thing came up at the same time that you realized you really need to be working on your communication skills, so you dropped whatever else was in the way, and you went for the political thing to learn the communication skills. And then the summer came up and you chose between dating and the movies and you let go of whatever you need to do to become the dating guy. So you've got this, you have this ability to, to solve a problem and then once it's solved and you realize what's next, you just drop whatever you were clinging to if it's no longer serving you and you move on to what's next. And I think this is something, like you say, you probably fuck it up many times as we all do but you're quite consistent with this and you're quite brave with this. Uh, and that's, I think, why you are where you are. Whereas other people, they're still clinging to something from many years ago, uh, or they're still trying to solve a problem that's 10 levels above the problem that they currently have. And that's why they're stuck. I think,
1: I think yet, yeah, I think you're, you're, you're right. But I also, want to talk about maybe some places where I didn't do this. So people understand that I'm human and I'm not I'm put too much on a okay, um, stool. Right. Before I, before I, before I do that, I also want to say um, there's something else around the narrative that I, I shared. And again, like that narrative could be tweaked shifted in all kinds of different ways. If, if I was asked a different question sure. and especially as we grow older and we have more life experiences, these things we we end with with more sets of experiences that can we can rearrange these legos into a different a different structure but craft of charisma a lot of things that i mentioned became came back and became really pertinent where there are lots of guys who are trying to figure out how to do dating coaching that i end up with a viable business in the most competitive market in the world like the a lot of the early self-development stuff helped me teach self-development i didn't realize it at the time but later on it did became a coach running around to these political campaigns and representing my boss who um it was a statewide race and he couldn't be in a lot of the regions i would have to speak on his behalf i learned public speaking and then i was able to run those first lectures a lot of them were at columbia um because i i had posted this thing on facebook and uh, so i was looking for a space and uh and starting to bring them at columbia actually the first few we tried to run were at a pizza parlor and offered free pizza and beer because we had heard somebody else had done that nobody showed up but the first ones anyone showed up at were at columbia and um and so and that's how we evolved from like doing individual stuff where i was putting ads on craigslist to like doing these group classes but i was able to do that public speaking because i had uh had had done a lot of speaking in politics and I had learned to do public speaking on um, that summer. I mean that, that year before I went off to, to New York and I just took a bunch of acting classes because I was interested in acting. I called up that guy who was a producer and said, I think I want to get into film. He's like, well, what do you want to do? Act write, direct produce. I'm like, I don't know. Is there a difference? And he's like, yeah, I go get some books. So I started taking reading books and taking classes and I just took a, took a bunch of acting classes for fun. Um, I ended up taking a few semesters of improv it turned out that that was really helpful with for becoming more spontaneous and like scene study was really helpful for learning to express emotions that in the past I had suppressed. And like, I heard Tom Hanks say once he said he liked acting because or something to this effect. He liked acting because he could live out all these fucked up situations without any of the consequences. And so like you had to explore and really angry or really mad or really distraught or so like, I was able to start to start to become more increasingly socially or uh, aware of my emotions in that way. Um, the sales background allowed me not only to become a, I was already like had a lot of these foundations. i described a few of them that allowed me to coach, but the sales background actually taught me how to ask somebody if they want to sign up for a class. Mm-hmm. And, and so people could sign up where there's a few other people who might've wanted to coach. Um, but I would are good they weren't as good as as i was even at that time but like they wanted to coach but they didn't know how to do any of the sales and i had this background and so what happened was like and this is this evolves into a theory i have on entrepreneurship because i've made some mistakes there especially trying to start other projects and do different projects um even craft charisma is evolving but like you should if someone's interested in entrepreneurship you do the things that you, you take your, I think that you should take the skill sets that you have and arrange them into a way that you can monetize them. And maybe that's building an app, but not for, for everybody. It's not, maybe you're good at organizing people, or maybe you're good at mowing people's lawns, or, you, or you're not, maybe you're not, you don't even have to be good at, it, but you're able to do it. Maybe you are like, what is something that you can do that you can sort of, you can monetize? Um, and that's how the real start for entrepreneurship, even if you're, willing to do it for free at first or 25 bucks or bucks or 50 bucks you just start developing the skill set you nurture that as an entrepreneur um but going back to um th- this idea of dropping what what I uh dropping what you do um well hold on the entrepreneurship that's really important because that's how we pick up new skill sets like as we get older our ego oftentimes is attached to the things that we that we're, we 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 think that we do well at or we get external or internal validation from and it's really hard to new, to do new things and and because oftentimes we start off being shitty at them and sucking at them yeah. um and I know in my life I I try to pick up new things with some level of regularity and people around me don't understand like last year at in my my uh mid to late thirties I taught myself to skateboard by watching videos on YouTube. I started picking up um piano a couple of years ago because I always wanted to do it um like I'm constantly new do new things and that that's because i i it's important for myself to remind for me to remind myself that like this process to let go of that ego and that process of continuing um to grow starts with like allowing myself to be and suck at stuff and be embarrassed and feel stupid and feel inadequate. Um, but going back to this idea of, of dropping things, I haven't done this. And like, I really fucked myself up a few years ago. Um, I didn't, I'm, I'm super excited about the projects that I'm working on right now. We're growing crowd Christmas podcast. We're growing our, our video channel. We've increased, um, coaching into several new cities um both in the u.s and outside of the u.s um, we're doing like we're doing a lot of expansions soon we're going to be releasing online classes um, but for a long time i didn't want to coach because i had been i got into this with the idea of paying for school it didn't what didn't really entirely work um i didn't like i i, I like i really wanted to have a family and have kids and like meet a partner and instead i was like taking guys out to bars and, and, and picking girls, picking girls up. And like a guy would be like, Hey, let me watch you pick somebody up. And I'd make out of the girl and make 10 K. But like, I like, that was definitely not where I saw my life. It was really inconsistent with my values and, mm-hmm. and craft, craft and, and being in the space can be a lightning rod, especially with things like the me too movement. Like these things have been, these tensions have been bubbling for a long time. And although <laughs> I don't have any embarrassment around or shame around the things that we do, I like definitely would take it personally when somebody would attack me because some girl had some bad experience and she's projecting her trauma on, on me. I remember this pretty, uh, this uh, person from vice, like called me up and they're trying to get me to do this interview. And it's a pretty significant story for them. And she goes, do you feel like you uh, like you've contributed to this? And like, and she was like asking me these pretty intense questions. And I, and I said, look, like, does every no have you ever do you think your clients have ever approached a girl who didn't want to be approached and i'm like i'm sure they have well do you, how do you feel about that I'm like, well what do you mean like i mean as long as they're doing this in an emotionally aware way and that's my job to teach them how to read these 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 nuanced things then what, what am i supposed to do we could have all men stop to pr- pursue all women for the rest of uh society for the rest of like just stop completely today and all of society shut down and and our human the human race will be over in 45 years once uh, all these girls have gone through menopause like like th- this is part of the process of what it means to be human like i know a lot of girls are extraordinarily frustrated because they like a guy and he doesn't know how to make that advance he doesn't know how to make them move the problem is that got guy- not that guys are are trying to meet and connect with women or even have sex with women like that's not the issue the issue is these these other deeper things that like that 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 society is just beginning to explore and more of a main more of a mainstream level but what i'm getting at is like i was taking on a lot of issues. I really want to go back to school. I I wanted that like ego boost of graduating from one of the world's top schools. So I have that external validation of knowing that I was smart. I really wanted to be uh, going down a different life path. I wanted um, to be in a place with sort of my relationships. I wanted to have different type of people around me because in some ways I sort of prostituted my social life. I like, yeah, uh, like Uh I would go and hang out with my friends. Yeah, I would go out and hang out with my friends, and now like people were paying me to hang out on my Friday, Saturday, Friday and Saturday nights. Like uh, at first, I was taking people to to uh, parties that people were inviting me to, and the people were like, "There's Chris Luna, the students." Like, so I, I was taking on all these traumas, in addition to all these other traumas that acquired over the course of my life, whether it was like abandonment, um, by being kicked out at 18 and feeling unstable which i didn't until my early 30s or it was um i talked about rebelling against my dad like and my parents when i was an, a teenager as i was trying to claim my identity I, after my dad his best friend told me he um he's like, I held your dad because like he cried because you told him he wasn't a good dad. Like I carried that around for a while later on when my brother who I helped out with was rebelling against me, he told me everybody in my family hated me. And like, and, and, uh, and I think on some level there's like some truth in that because my life was working better at that stage of my life than a lot of other members of my family. And, and I think that there was some level of resentment. Um, like the, when I started crafting charisma, I, um, like the I'd interned for this company briefly in LA and they sued me and like, I didn't do anything wrong, but the guy was like, was a, was like an unstable human being who sued lots of people for the same sort of shit. And like, basically, cause I'd become a competitor and, and, um and I, and, and this guy from the New York times wrote an article about me and said, write an article about him. And, and uh, I know that from having conversations with the writer. And so like, uh, but basically like, that created a level of psychological instability. Like I was, I was for a while, I was reacting to the past and past traumas. And I was clinging to this vision I had of myself in the future that just wasn't going to happen. And I fucked myself up. Like I gave myself a breakdown. It's like all these pressures were like blowing up a balloon and that balloon fucking popped and it fucked me up. And so the reason why I'm sharing this is because one, I do not always do this. Right. I, um, when my life is working well, I'm doing it, but there are definitely periods of my life where my mind and my body have told me, you're not listening. You're not listening to yourself. Right. And, and that pressure got so much that like, I I didn't really hand, like, like my, like my body just sort of like my body, my mind sort of fucking shut down. And, and um, this could be like a, a a taboo subject for a lot of people to talk about. But the reason why I'm talking about it is because guys like we suppress this stuff so much. Like um, we're told that we need to go out and make money, earn money. We need to be, do things entirely on our own. Like the idea of the rugged individual, we need to take care of ourselves. Like we need to, like there's these expectations that are pushed on from our, from our society and like, like, and, and yeah, you need to suppress your emotions. You just need to fucking do it. And like, And, and, uh, and it's not just by, it's by other men. It's also by women. Like women complain. I remember telling this girl, I said, you know, women suppress so much of their emotions. I get my hair cut. Like our society forces men or or pressures men to suppress so much of their emotions. That's why I'm not, these guys end up shooting up a school or shooting up a post office. And, and she, and the, and the two girls looked at me like I was like retarded. And I'm like, but it's like, it's nothing against people who are retarded. Like, um, I just but like, they're just looking, looked at me like I was just, crazy and 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 uh like they didn't understand but like women do this all the time like you you should act like a man like what's wrong with you like wow like, but the reality is um that that these are part of the things that bond us like if you're listening to this I'm sure that you have your own set of traumas and challenges and and your own journey and these and things that are going to go wrong like trauma like traumas and obstacles are not the exception they're just fucking part of life you're going to die things are going to get fucked up things are not going to work out and it's very important that you develop the tools and there are definitely tools out there to let go and move forward and so going back to sort of your original comment again i'm sharing this because i understand for a lot of guys i'm a model. Maybe I'm a model because they they want to be able to have sex and P- play my mansion and pick up girls. Like, uh, but when you find me online, you're not going to – if you find me online, you're not going to find a bunch of pictures of me hooking up with girls. It's just not – you're going to find, like, a guy that probably looks really relatively normal. Um, and and what I want you to understand is, like, these these experiences, these struggles that you're going through, they're what connect us. They're not what connect me and you. They're what connect Dan and you. They're gonna, they, they connect you with every man who's lived before you. And they connect you with every man who's going to live after you. That's huge, man. Because
0: like one of the things that uh, I went through a period of time, which was quite dark for me, only a, uh, about a year ago, or I can't even remember. But it was this kind of realization that no matter how much self-development stuff I do, the problems never end. And shit comes up from the past. It seems like I fixed it all and a new thing comes up and it's fucking, it's just never ending. And I, I got this kind of depression for a while where I was just like, is there really even any point in me working on myself? So on and so forth. But I came to realize like what you've realized, well, it's, it's, that is the work that is being a human. You know, there's so many guys that, that I work with who punish themselves just because they're suffering. So they're already suffering from something and then they're hard on themselves for not uh, having solved their problem or for having that problem in the first place. And this is what I love talking to guys like you who are the kind of guys that, you know, these guys who are suffering and they're really miserable in their lives. They look at a guy like you and, and they see, like you say, is the model, but they also see themselves in comparison to this model and see themselves as hugely different. Like I'm suffering I'm struggling, I've got trauma, I'm never gonna be this guy i'm i'm he's like another species uh these kind of thoughts without realizing you know all of us have the same shit going on, some of us are just dealing with it appropriately and others are stuck in it and we all go through turns of this and I think it's it's just so good to hear you to hear you kind of talk about it and be really upfront um and also to point I- out like. You know, despite what all the things that you've done, there's still more to be done. There's still more to work on. And oh,
1: I, I, I fucked. I fucked a me, uh, I mean, a relationship with one of the best girls, I mean, ever met, and I mean, arguably the, like the best potential partner I've ever met, was last year. And that experience, I I immediately started making massive changes in my life because I realized that that like this was a this was a wake up call, right like I didn't want to repeat the mistake again mm-hmm. because it was a mistake. I was letting past traumas create physical and emotional blocks, and like I thought about what would be the consequence if I don't change? Maybe she'll come back into my life, maybe she won't, but what happens when it's the next girl like i like I could miss out on so many of these things that i I really want to be a dad to be a great partner to be. Um, a great husband to be, a foundation of my community, to be a leader, right? And I'm talking about a leader when I was a young man, going, I want to have status and power. I'm talking about like you, you get good at something, and people are naturally you build competency in something, and people are naturally drawn to you, and you're able to share that. That like that's sort of like this like organic, real leadership. And and um, I I fucked up this relationship, and it was a wake up call, and I realized. Like I have to listen to myself and my body and and what happened and recognize that I, there are some things that she could have done different, but I wasn't a present partner. I wasn't awake um I was creating a lot of these physical no blocks that were blocking the connection, and i and her her frustrations the things that she felt were valid and I've dated others where I was doing similar things, but it wasn't it wasn't like they weren't in the same type of place that she was. She has issues, but like, I just, I realized that this one it mattered and I needed to change because of the consequences, because of the con the consequence of not changing, like I just couldn't really imagine it. And so, so this is an ongoing process. Like, and I'm a coach. I'm like a, a reputation as, as being a very, very good coach, but I still, um, like we, we are going to acquire trauma over the course of our life. These things are going to come up. Um, but they're definitely, there are, you we're going to have, there are tools available. And like the first step, as you said, is like, or we kind of talked about is recognizing where the pain is, right? Recognize where that pain is and then address that. And one of the examples I've been using a lot with my team is, um, and we might've talked about this before. I, I'm using this example of, uh, of, Z- did I talk to the, talk to you about this?
0: Say that again. It just cut out for a second. The
1: the, the, the Zelda story. Did I talk to you about No, this?
0: I don't think so. Go ahead. Okay. I can remember.
1: Okay. So, um, I brought this up recently a couple of times. I couldn't remember who I was up with, but I was talking, I was playing Zelda mm-hmm. and I like Zelda. <laughs> I mean, I, don't, I uh, I, uh, I was playing Zelda. I don't play a ton of video games, but from time to time, I, I, I'll i get like hooked on a game. And I was playing Zelda and I realized that like you start the game and you're, you're basically naked, you don't have a weapon, you don't really have any resources, and you're running on a map to use your ingenuity, right? Like you're using your mind to try to figure out how do I get a weapon and how do I get some clothes and how do I get armor and how do I build stamina and my heart or whatever but like you're you're really sort of contained in this one area and you have to use your ingenuity to try to make something of yourself and then at some point you uh, you you have the opportunity where you can drift farther away from your home base but then you end up with like fighting or or end up coming like bigger monsters or bigger obstacles maybe it's like a river that you have to swim across you don't have enough stamina to get across you out or a monster hit and you die with hit because you're you don't really you don't have armor or strong enough armor uh your, your your weapon's not strong enough and so even though you hit the guy 20 times it's like not enough to do any damage and so what happens is like you have to build up that your capacity so that you can move to other places or other areas like you it's the same thing like you're thinking about where am I vulnerable or where's the pain I mean we're always vulnerable to a certain extent and it's important to, to be able to be present and be vulnerable but like what do I need to work on right and so and when I talk about, vul- when I'm talking about vulnerability in this context it's like I need a place to live like I need to get clothes like that allow me to get a job or to, I, to, to go on a date and she's going to feel comfortable or uh, I mean, every girl's different. Some girls are concerned less about clothes than others, but like the, but the idea is like you build up your character because if you go too far uh, on the map, um, you're just going to get killed immediately. And this, and this happens in life. You mm-hmm. apply for a job that you're not ready for and you get rejected. Or if you get hired, then they fire you and you're embarrassed. Or um, you take a task that you agree to and you think, uh, because you think it's exciting. And then you find out you don't have the skill sets in order to, to do that. Um, uh, to do that task and so then you embarrass yourself uh you i mean and, 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 and that's part of life like you are going to embarrass yourself and make mistakes and you're going to learn from them and and grow hopefully and it's important that you do take risks uh, over the course of your life and some people don't take enough risks and and so they end up sort of stuck in the same place but my point is like is in that, that game i was using that example with my my team i said it's really important that you build up your capacities before you move into the next stage so like when we relaunched our podcast that, okay, well, the first thing that we want to do, we have a 90 day goal. The 90 goal, day goal is to just um, podcast going and then get publish consistently. And we shot for four times a week. It was more than our, the capacity of our team. So we just settled on three, we published three times a week. And by the third month we're um, approaching uh, 9,000 listens a month. And, and um and so now we have another 90 day goal and that 90 day goal has another set of really specific things on based on our, our goals, based on our capacity. And, and we focus on those very simple things for 90 days. I'm doing the same thing with getting in shape. I realized I needed to get back into shape and I said, okay, for 90 days, I'm just going to adjust my diet and keep doing the things that I'm doing and see if that has any effect. I like cut grains and sugary drinks and, and, Sugary snacks and uh, cheese, for the most part, unless it's already on something. And like, I, for and I, and I would say, like, I ninety five percent of the time I stay on that. And in the first sixty days, I lost twenty eight pounds. And um, my goal is to lose somewhere around forty, um, because I would crashed my skateboard in the winter and hurt my hand, and had let mm-hmm. some like other like I'd put on some weight. And so like, that's a lot of weight, but it is sort of crude over over time. And yeah. and so I think within ninety days, I'll be back to my goal. And then for the next 90 days, I realize I have to change because I can't keep running the calorie deficit. So I'm like, I'm going to do CrossFit for the next 90 days, join a run club, and then get involved with this like functional fitness clinic that um, I'm going to have them sort of tweak my diet a little bit so that I'm no longer running calorie deficit and building sort of more muscle. But like the reason why I'm, I'm explaining this is because um, like when it comes to sort of trying to get yourself into a better place, healthier place. The first thing is to recognize where the pain is. And then the second step, in my opinion, is just, is just start thinking about realistic things that you can do to change that are within your capacity. And then you focus on those until you've increased your capacity.
0: It's just, it's so practical. Um, but so many people do not follow this and that's their problem. And, and it's just, it's so good to hear you Spell it out, you know it's, it's funny, like you say, it probably costs many thousands of dollars to work with you one to one, and so what you're giving us now is absolute fucking gold because we're getting to see inside the mind of of a man who is not perfect, but he's got his shit sorted, he really does you know, and like I said, when I said before, I think I made a comment like this is probably obvious to you, and, and what I really meant by that is that you've developed this natural approach, not that you apply it perfectly, but you developed this natural approach that works very fucking effectively for you in the long term. Um, and I, I really hope that the people listening are kind of are seeing this pattern that you do, this thing where you identify the pain point, you in, in in Brojo terms, we talk about the transition of values from curiosity to courage to honesty, which is kind of like thinking about it, making it realistic and then doing it, which is exactly what you do. You know, you identify what needs to be worked on. You bring it down to a point where it can be worked on and you're not like pushing yourself too far, but you're also pushing yourself enough for change. And then you just get on and do it. And that approach has been very fucking effective for you. And it's, it's just so awesome. To hear about it, and (laughs) you know, Dave, we we talked about this last time on your show. I think you and I could just talk for hours, it's ridiculous. Um, and I think we're gonna have to save some for later and bring it to a close today. But uh, there's sounds good, (laughs) I got so much more that I want (laughs) to talk to you about, but um, I think I want to let the guys digest what you've said here and. I really from the bottom of my heart, I really want to thank you for just pulling back the curtain and letting us see everything you're you're quite accurately shameless and what I mean by that is you're not uh, you know falsely modest about what you've done well and you're not putting on a false front about where you've fucked up and where you've been in pain you know you give us quite an accurate spectrum of what's going on with you and it's really hard to find good mentors in the in the sort of the men's community who are willing to show that whole spectrum. Um, so I really appreciate you doing that, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. And of course, uh, I, sorry, carry on.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I talked earlier about tools. And one of the things that if I was a listener, I'd be frustrated about it, is like, well, what tools is he talking about? And, and there's certain things. It's much easier for me to make the type of choices and the progress that I'm making like for example, right now I would argue my life is working quite well, and um, and I've talked about periods where it definitely wasn't. And when it is, it's because part of it is because I have a lot of clarity of mind. I'm not fighting with myself yeah. and myself. I'm like not reacting to sort of this internal voice that we all have that's telling stories and weaving narratives and causing us to react. And and there's certain things that like that i I've, I've that I could say like are, are, are clearly it's connected to that there are things like um like mindfulness and meditation and not learning not to react to the the past or future and once you do that it doesn't mean that you can do that all the time like you're gonna have thoughts and fucking narratives are gonna start spinning around in your head and like like that's that's normal it's part of it like but um it's important that but once you once like i I learned that 95 percent of the the volume that like was like turned down in my mind and suddenly i had immense clarity and things like focusing on breathing and doing an app like headspace or calm or something else like made it become made it manageable and then i could just see like uh things were were so much clearer um learn not to compartmentalize i was worried as embarrassed that if i told people some of these things that made me look imperfect that i would be judged and 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 in the wrong environment being vulnerable can be can like can actually like cause additional traumas but what happens is you nurture um, vulnerability in the right environments. And then you, when you go into some of these other environments, you have the the armor or sword or stamina or hearts in order to um, m- m- express, to, to be vulnerable, even though people are going to react. I mean, not everyone who's listening to this is going to be able to connect with it. They're going to be like, this fucking dude's on another frequency and, and I, I can't tune in. Um, they probably haven't listened far, but then there's other people listening to this. This is going to connect with them. Um, and then some of those guys who didn't connect with now, listen to this a month from now, five years, now, 10 years now and be like that fucking guy, like, like I get where he's coming from. And, um, and so I think like, um, what I, I, I wanted to get this to sort of squeeze that in there. And when I talk about tools, some of the tools are important are, yeah, like not to, react to the future, not, um, compartmentalizing things, not suppressing things uh, there's more there's additional ones but i just like want the people to know that there are tools out there available dan's pop dan, dan i know that you sort of um share them we do too on our podcast the Craft Christmas podcast store you can hit us up on site com and uh, and we answer questions we're also going to build a youtube channel but we're trying to do is build a media company around uh, around wellness where we answer your guys's questions and and try to provide some of the mentorship that that you're describing, and some sort of also complement some of the mentorship that you give guys.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think um, I think it's great what you guys are doing, and it's great that you re- reveal. You know, this isn't just like some natural gift that, that you have to work at it. That you have to use tools to keep yourself focused. And you know, it's it's the same with me. I've got this morning routine that I do, and I've been tracking it for many years now. And when I don't do it, shit goes wrong. And when I do do it, shit mostly goes right. Not always, but it, it affects me. I can't, I can't just wake up and, and kind of be awesome. I have to do these processes and I have, to, I have to build everything. And if one area of my life gets neglected, the other areas suffer and so on. And <laughs> Yeah, like yeah. I said, my we could just go on and on. I think we'll wrap it up there. But um, I know you said you, you've got, obviously, craftofcharisma.com. Is the main stopping point, but is there anything else uh, that you want to share in terms of people getting in touch with your work or getting in touch with you? What do you recommend?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely have some additional things that are that are in the works. I'm not ready to announce them, but I'm going to do a shift in personal branding. Um, um, but for now, just understand that you can follow us through craft of Christmas. if you google craft charisma you'll find me and then you can find my personal projects um and like that, that's that's for now we'll just we'll make it that simple
0: <laughs> maybe we'll update the show notes later on when the big reveal happens but that's all good well chris cool uh, yeah well thank you man um absolutely gold stuff and like you said i think some people may need to listen to this you know, again and again, um, every six months or so, perhaps, and, and it will make more sense and be more meaningful as they work on themselves and others that will click straight away. They get what you're talking about and it will give them the motivation that uh, they're on the right path, that they're doing a lot of the same things that you are doing. Uh,
1: th- thank you. And thank you for letting me be a, a guest. And if you're listening to this and you know somebody who's struggling, share this with him. Like if you're listening to hand podcasts, share the share them with them. Like we're all in this together. Like we are interdependent, and oftentimes guys think that if I gain, I need to gain, so my friend and my friend's going to lose. Like don't be a selfish bastard. <laughs> so share this with people you care about. We're all in this together.
0: Ah, oh, absolutely, man. Couldn't agree more. Thank you once again. Um, give you a high five or a hug if there's one well virtual. And I I genuinely look forward to us having another chat in the near future.